So, rhyming, it's like puzzles. It's like puzzles. And, um, and there's that fantastic feeling when you find the right puzzle piece. And that's what I love most about what, what I do with rhyming is that no matter how much I'm an attention seeker and I want people to notice me and so much of that and like this chase for fame that I've sort of put aside now but that fueled me for a long time is based around insecurity and all of these toxic things. My favorite thing though is when I'm all alone and you find the perfect puzzle piece and you're like, I got that one. And it feels like you're picking it out of the ethos and somehow no one else is going to get that one now. It's like it's not there anymore. So when I rhyme, like, even the dopest rap I'd say is whack. I spit my wackest rap, you play it back to back. Whose track is that? You're left amazed. You had the chance to even listen to a verse that made you hate the fact I ain't even beginning to reach the level that I'm playing at. So what you playing at? I'm paid to rap because I paid attention to the lessons left by those who paved the track. I paid respect and in return, I gained respect by mates who happen to be the very rappers who have taught me how to shape my act. I came to rap. Reverent over records, whenever I'm in the session, it's evident by my presence that everything in my essence is heading towards the message that kudos has come to take it back. So what you taking back? I'm taking back the beat from those who don't compete with those who rap to grow their speech in ways that are no longer seen as being worth the time it takes to have the kind of skill reminding me that hip-hop in a way is crack. And in what ways it crack? Well, crack's addictive. See, this rap has got me itching like a fiend. I'm always scheming to be rapping and or listening so rapidly in your system. It's giving you what you need as it captures you in a vision. I'm snapping off bits of wisdom. Shit you need to hear until it's clear I'm going to speak because it happens to be my mission reaction to read and write in a fight with a demon killing the key to the beat in my small opinion lies in the way we lack. See, lacking can be seen as lacking. Or lacking can be seen as passion minus action. Add that trap. <laughs> See, lacking can be seen as lacking. Or lacking can be seen as passion minus action, add the action, and you'll see the traction form and turn the lack and is converted into fuel. It's pretty cool to see this happen. And that's why I love rhyming. It's just, um, it's puzzles. <laughs> I happen to be attracted to that which has been imagined. Imagine me when I'm rapping. You think you're seeing some magic, a magazine and some money. It won't give me what I'm needing. That's why I'm bleeding on records. Help you see when I'm manic that what you see in this habit of mine is more like something dream when you sleep in a scene in a similar sequence to something seen through a camera. Hammering every nail while picking apart the package and picking apart the beat, getting intricate with my madness. Missiles I aim at actors that actually think they're accurate, acting as if their arrogance actually makes them alchemists, actively taking part in a culture promoting violence. You speak of the code of silence, but never will claim the pacifist. I engineered this rap to show you what it's like when devotion to writing rap is the focus of someone's mind and the time that it takes to write such a flow and a scheme alike. It's excited as part of me. Openly seen as high, am I seen as a teacher typing or maybe an ego's hypey the way it has left me happy and eager to breathe in life. If you see this and think it's wise, then I beg you to find your passion. Hope for your rite of passage and thank you for seeing mine. Puzzles. It's just, it's, it's, it's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> I, fucking, I fucking love it. I love, I love rhyming words. Listen, man. That was, that was dope. I think, you, I think I'm going to have to hit that button. Oh, I'm going to have to hit that button. I, I thought you meant you weren't recording. <laughs> uh, we were definitely recording, but yeah. <laughs> 
That's hilarious. That's hilarious, bro. Listen, you, you. Um, I want that to be like my alarm when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like my, you've just killed in my a beat. underwear. <laughs> <laughs> you've just killed a beat in your dream, and uh, you just. Well, there was no beat right now, but you just killed it. If we ever make a business together, let's make an emotion sensor. So when people get up in the morning, that turns on. A- anybody. That's anybody and everybody. Yeah, the clap. <laughs> like, it's just like, ah, applause. And you just get up and you're like, yep, I did it again. Woke up ready to face the day. It's like regardless of how you feel, if you feel like shit. And that's like an uplifting thing. I don't know why we're here. It's a fucking hard thing to deal with every day. The more you think, why are we here? You got to find that purpose. It's fucking tough, man. Getting applause, getting up in the morning. No matter who you are. Yeah. I'm, it's confusing being alive, you know? Yeah, man. Being a person, trying to figure out where you, where you, you fit, where you fit, who you are, why you are. Knowing that in the end, the off switch is going to switch off and you don't know what happens next. Did it mean anything? Did it mean nothing? It's, it's got to mean something. I think it's good to believe it means something, even if it doesn't. Well, I mean, I've always looked at it as, uh, I mean, there's some very existential <laughs> topics, which I'm sure you go through all the time, right? <laughs> wow. You're off asking the hard questions. Yeah, but, but you know. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, I'm such an asshole. That's all right, man. I still love you. (laughs) Asshole. Uh, But I think it's there for you to create a legacy. You know, life, being alive. Yeah, being alive is like, you know, leaving your mark, leaving your mark on something, whether you're, you know, whether you're trying to aim for fame or, you know, is something as simple as uh, someone who has just like, I don't know, like a normal nine to five job, but at least to those people, like, you know, working in, in any organization, you make a difference in that organization. That's like you've impacted those people and Just those lives. Walking down the street, uh, making someone's day, you know, constantly giving opportunities to help people. Yeah, maybe you're All that guy time. who makes a coffee to, uh, you know, ten or twenty of these regular customers for 10, 10, 20 years, whatever. But they're your regulars, you know. To them, you were part of their daily and morning routine, and so it's like you were part of the success habits, or you know, the, that sort of like tiny bit of positivity in their day and you know you will be remembered but i feel like for me that's the thing that keeps on going it's just like you got to leave your legacy you got to leave a legacy some body of work regardless of you know whether it's in an artistic realm or or not you're leaving something that being said uh you said uh who are we well we're not here to discuss that we're here to discuss who are you (laughs) and uh person you've just had a chance to listen to everybody is uh listen to that spoken word slash rhyme session rap is none other than australian hip-hop artist kudos james what's going on my man just hanging out man just hanging out it doesn't it feel really weird to say what's going on when we've actually just already spent like the whole morning together so uh um, didn't feel weird to me. It nah. kind of feels weird now that you've acknowledged it, you dick. You dickhead, <laughs> you fucking dickhead. <laughs> it doesn't actually feel weird. Yeah, anyway, sorry. Well, uh Yes, it does feel weird. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just made things awkward. All right, guys. Uh pretty much that's it. Sorry, we're done. <laughs>
Take two. Take two. Let's do this again. Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm the worst person to interview. I'm going to let you no, no, no. say what you were saying. Dude, the floor is here. We're here for you, man. Uh, but while, while you're humoring me, uh, let's just kind of maybe brush over some of the cool shit that you've done just so people have people who don't know you have some sort of contextual. Okay. Uh, so you've done of late, uh, well, would you say I think it was 2018, like a Paradox tour? Yes. Uh, yeah, I did, I did go on tour. Yeah. You've got some um, impressive singles with some pretty good lyrics to, you know, of some good music out there. Um, some really impressive music videos, which I feel like is one of the focal points of maybe your sort of creative endeavors. You know, it seems like you put a lot of effort into, into that, which is so cool to see because I don't know, for DJs, it's like you go out to a festival and you play and that's like, the sort of interaction, we get that a lot, but for you, uh, and making mixes, obviously, but for you, your music videos immortalize your, you know, your creativity in a sense. So, um, so reading your bio yesterday, I, uh, I think you wrote it yourself. It's the thing that says, you know, you wanted to be an MC at 12 years old. Oh, that's right. And, uh, you know, that's a very young age to just decide to want to be an MC. Oh, fucking cool. Um, how did that start? When I was 12? Yeah, like what was the 12? What made you think that? 12? Um, so um, I remember me and me and my brother went over to my, um, my cousin's house, uh, well, my uncle and auntie's house, and we were hanging out with my cousin. And my cousin's a little bit older than my brother, and my brother's a little bit older than me. And my cousin pulled us into his room, and he's like, you got to hear this new thing. It was kind of like when my brother first showed me weed, actually. Like, you got to, I discovered this thing. You got to come <laughs> check it out. Anyway, so, yeah, we went into his room and he, um, he put on Eminem and Dr. Dre's Guilty Conscience. I don't know if you, you know this song. For those that don't know, it's a, it's a song that Eminem and Dr. Dre made where they set out three separate scenarios where the person has a decision to make the right decision or the wrong decision. And Eminem plays the devil and... Dr. Dre plays the angel. It was super conceptual, really like cinematic. I was just amazed. I thought it was the most amazing thing. And I'd been singing. I started singing when I was 10. I always wanted to be a musician. Ever since I heard um, My Girl by The Temptations, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a musician. Um, and I used to try to write lyrics, but it was always, I didn't really know, like I didn't have anything to say. I mean, I was 10. Like I was trying to write like metal lyrics and like, well, what do I write about? I'll write about the devil. It's metal. Like, you know, you don't have any concept of who you are. You're trying to figure it all out. And when I heard hip hop, I was just like, this is crazy. And I don't think it was a conscious decision. I just went home and started writing. I don't even remember how, because I don't know if we had the internet. It was around that time where internet was kind of becoming more common, I guess. Um, so I went home and I started writing immediately. And then one day, I like a couple of weeks later, I was walking past my brother's room and I heard, I heard rapping and I opened the door and my brother had started rapping the exact same time as me from the same experience with our cousin showing us hip hop. And yeah, like what is an MC? You know, when I was 12, like I had no reference point. I didn't know what any of this, any of this was, where it came from. Like I, I, knew, I knew nothing, you know, and we started by listening to Eminem and NWA and then... I remember hearing Exhibit one day, and this was back when tapes were around. Like we didn't, yeah. it wasn't like now. So you'd hear about these people and they were like something out of the universe just planted in your lap. You had no way of looking them up, finding out anything about them. 
And um, yeah, then Wu-Tang and then we were obsessed with Tupac and and then, you know, through the years it became English hip-hop, like Task Force and Skinny Man and Jest and Kalashnikov. And also like, this was all before Hilltop Hoods. Um, you know, when people say Hilltop Hoods really paved the way for a lot of people, like I see that because I used to get like picked on ruthlessly for rapping when I was in high school, when I was like 13. And then I remember the, the moment I heard the word, the name, the Hilltop Hoods, it was cool. You didn't get picked on anymore. And all the people picking on me were doing it as well. All of a sudden it became this like cool thing. And I think it wasn't just about hip hop becoming cool from them. It was more just them going, hip hop isn't about emulating American culture. Hip hop is about expressing yourself. And that's when I think it started becoming really real for me, seeing people from all walks of life using this medium to express themselves as individuals. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, first off, there's so much in what you just said that's like fascinates me. First off, the fact that you were 10 years old and you were listening to metal. Um, I don't know what I was listening. It was Rage. Oh, no. Rage Against the Machine. How, how old were you when you came to Australia? 2008. So I was. Oh, have okay. Been so you don't, you never listen to Rage in the morning and stuff? Like, <sighs> you, do you know what this is? No, well, yeah, I know what it is. Okay, cool. I, I've actually been on it. Oh, like, what? I was on a music you were on video. Rage? Yeah, yeah, what? I was on a music video That's clip sick. that that eventually went on Rage. Um, Mouse in the House. Yeah. It was a comedy comedy skit. Yeah, right. But it was also actually a hip hop like okay. comedy skit, and I was playing a priest with a mohawk. Yeah, right. Father Bling. Yeah. Um, anyways, so Rage. Just yeah. just to explain though, Rage. Like when I was a kid, and I think for a lot. So just to like create context, like I'm 30 yeah. now. So I was born in '89. So I, even though I was born in the 80s, I'm kind of a 90s baby. So growing up in the 90s was like every weekend morning, you watched Rage. You just watched whatever was on Rage. And it was a time where we were listening to really great music and really shit music at the same time. And we loved all of it. So I'm listening to Cake and Nirvana and The Offspring mm, and yeah, all yeah. this dope hip hop music that was coming out in the 90s. But we're also listening to... Wrong. Backstreet Boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, you know, Britney Spears, hit me baby one more time. And these, you know, and just having no reference point to like, we just, you either, we either liked it or we didn't. It had nothing to do with what was cool or not. So when I say I'm listening to metal, fuck, what was I listening to? I was obsessed with Limp Bizkit. I thought they were the coolest in Corn, And then all these crews were yeah. just the shit. So, yeah. yeah. Dude, I'd relate to that so much. Well, maybe not Corn. I know other people in my sort of, uh, school were definitely into it, but I was so into Limp Bizkit. Mm. Like Limp Bizkit for me was the one that like really introduced profanity on another level mm. uh, into my sort of vernacular. Like it was, what is that album? The Chocolate Starfish, is it? I can't even remember anymore. And I listened to, I think it was the one that's got like, just one of those days yeah, when you don't yeah. want to wake up. That was like my angst, like yeah. spoken in someone else's voice as like a kid. I was like, yeah, yeah. fuck you parents. Like, but I don't know why I was angry at my parents. They were great, but like, <laughs> like fuck you. Fred Durst gets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was so that like the 90s was also so like that whole hip hop and rock thing. You know, obviously it's been happening for yeah, a while. With, like, like 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I think Run DMC and uh, what was it? Van, Aerosmith or Van Halen? No, Aerosmith. Aerosmith, yeah, Aerosmith Walk This Way. Fucking sick song. That was probably the first, wasn't it? That was totally on Rage back in the day. Yeah, yeah that would have been yeah. something we were watching. Bum Funk MCs, which is yeah. weird because I listen to it now and I was like, oh, we were listening to like drum and bass sort of jungle music and we didn't yeah. even 
No. And UK Garage. Like Craig yeah. David was like UK Garage. Yeah. Had no idea that that's what we were listening to. The same way when we listened to hip hop back in the day, a lot of it to start with, we didn't know that's what it was. We didn't yeah, have any words for it. It was just music. You know? Yeah. 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 I guess like even just categorizing it as rap or I don't know. I mean, I kind of felt like I knew what R&B was. Did you feel like, because like a lot of the, like say Backstreet Boys. At that time, I didn't know anything. You didn't know the sort of names nah, of the I'm genres. I'm thinking like, it's hard to pinpoint times as well though. But I think around like late primary school, I guess we started. I learned everything from my brother. You know, my, I remember when I first heard, heard Method Man, he was featured on Limp Bizkit. And I thought Method Man was Wu-Tang. I thought it was one person. I had no idea it was a crew just because he's always shouting Wu-Tang. Yeah. And then when I was older, I was like, oh, okay. And not yeah, even yeah. knowing that beat was made by DJ Premier, who's another absolute god. God yeah. of... Um, um, dude, it's so funny that you you say these things, especially about like Method Man and Red Man, because uh, it's the same thing, man. I only got into Wu-Tang like so late as an adult mm. because first off, what was accessible was a lot of Eminem and Dr. Dre. I mean, at that point, I think, especially even in the early... 2000s that was like when aftermath records was sort of set up you know what i mean mm. uh, like at six years old you weren't particularly listening like that would have been 1996 for me maybe you okay. know which is you know when park died but you know i was six years old i wouldn't have listened to you know nwa or death row records no, it, was, it was only until you were like maybe 12 years old that you were 12 or 13 yeah probably high school i think it started high school because you think like i started rapping when i was 12 and i don't know the exact time but i think it was like more like just it might have been just at the start of high school, you know? Yeah. Turning 13. Yeah, yeah. And then getting into that and then it becoming big and then everyone like passing tapes, constantly being educated on tape. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fucking so good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so that's cool. So it wasn't, uh, you know, I think in the past I asked you like, did was it ever, you know, did it ever start as like poetry for you? But no, it started out as you started wanted to rap. Yeah. Started to write out yeah. as rap. Um. That's pretty cool, man. So, like, you wanted to write lyrics and you wanted to, you know, did you go, oh, I want to be an MC or I want to, you know, I want to write music or was it just that came in sort of later on when you were like, say, 18 years old, by that time you've had, you know, like maybe four or five years of just, was it consistent writing music or writing yeah. lyrics? Um, I put it, we put an album out. It was like me and my brother and our friend Barry Spinks when I was like 17. Wow. Yeah. And um, but you won't find that anywhere. It's not the the only people that have it are the people that have it. And then and it's on CD. Like you wouldn't find it digital anywhere. Um yeah. And then started. But I was already performing as a singer for for a really, really long time. And I'm also a fucking loudmouth. So <laughs> I would rap to anybody at any time, wherever I was. Yeah. On a bus, on the street corner. I used to battle people. It was just constantly, <laughs> constantly rapping. That's awesome. I mean… It was an it, obsession. It was an obsession. It was also a lot of attention seeking, I think, like now that I look back at it. Um, it's also what made me really good at it though because I've done it so much. Like just that hunger to get on like any platform I can to spit raps for people and sort of prove my skill or whatever. Like hip hop such a competitive culture. So… Yeah, just like always wanting to do that. Yeah. 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 I think it wouldn't, um, you sort of wouldn't be here or a lot of rappers wouldn't if they didn't have that sort of chip on their shoulder, you know what I mean? Or just that mm. um, needing to be heard, you know? Because it, it's, the, it's the only way you're going to, I feel like it's the only, only way you're going to actually be able to be, to, to be out there. Mm. Well, 
I mean, yes and no. I think there's healthy ways to look at it. You know, there was a yep. long time where I'm like, I want everyone to know I'm here and I'm making my mark and stuff. And I think it was J. Cole that said, like, you should, oh, was it, was it J. Cole? Anyway, some, I heard someone at some point say, like, you should all think you're the best rapper in the world. It's not about being better than other people saying you're the best. Although in the English language it is, but it's like, yeah. But, but you- having... Well, having this like adversarial, like any rapper I know is like in competition with me. It's not, it's not a way to build community. And I think um, that's the best thing about music is building community. So, I mean, that's, that's the biggest blessing for me. You know, I hear people go, they go to a new city. They find it really hard to make friends. I just have to find where the music is. Spit some raps. People will become my friend real quickly. And, and that's where like, I've learned most lessons in my life is like through these like networks of people and these conversations and watching people play music and me playing music. And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So wanting to be the best, but at the same time, I don't know, the older I've gotten, it's kind of like, that's not really important to me. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I'm the best. I wouldn't want to be the best if I could. I'm a lifelong student. Anyone I see that's better than me, I'm fucking stoked. Cause the more people that are better than me at what I do, and there's countless numbers of them are people that I can look to. Mm. for guidance in yeah progressing it's fucking awesome yeah. suck to be the best imagine being the best not being able to learn from anybody it sounds miserable yeah yeah mm. it's um well that's the point is like being able to learn from anybody it's like as soon as someone's better than you it's it's not you're not necessarily imitating them but you're studying them you want to you want to know what distinguishes that person from yeah from everyone else well, it's not about biting styles it's just about learning um yeah, fuck, it's kind of a hard, it's an interesting thing. Like, how do you learn from somebody without biting the style? But you're yeah. not, you, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying. You don't want to, you want to be unique. You want to be, you know, you want to have your own style and all that. But it's, it's always, uh, it's always good to have like a point of reference, I guess, in a way. Do you know what I mean? Of where, where you want your art to be in the world? Would you say that's, yeah. Like, how do you want to be seen or what do you want to leave behind? Well, yeah, yes. Uh, but also maybe what is your art form like? Like, what distinguishes your style from, say, that My person? Style. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's sort of like when you first heard me rap at 12, you'd be like, this kid's listening to NWA. Because it was just complete emulation. Yeah. I was talking about things that I knew nothing about in an accent that wasn't mine. <laughs> what accent was that? I'm not even putting it on, but it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was American. Which is, oh, totally American. Yeah. Like gangster, what I thought is being like gangster, like, you know, very Los Angeles, which is funny because my dad's from Inglewood, LA, which is where a lot of is those dad guys. American? Dad's American. He's from Los Angeles. Okay. So when I was younger, I had an accent that sounded like this because I wanted to talk like my dad. But then when I'd rap, it'd be like this other accent. And then, you know, you're a kid. You're trying to find where you are. You know what I mean? And I'm in Noosa. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no reference point to hip hop anywhere. Yeah. Um, fuck. And then dad's looking at us, you know, he's from Inglewood, LA, and he's going like, why the fuck are you guys talking like that? That's so, <laughs> that's so bizarre. Like, like why, why aren't you acting like yourself? You're yeah. Trying to be somebody else. It's, yeah. It's a str- <laughs> dad used to say to us, he's like, you guys are trying to act gangster. I'm this old dude. I'm more gangster than any <laughs> guys. <laughs> Man, what, what was your, um, what was your dad listening to? Like, I've clearly, being from Inglewood, he knew, you know, he knew all about the shit that was happening in LA. Probably, that was like an early Well, night. yeah, but he grew up in a different, he, he grew up in a, in a different time, you know? So, like, I mean, 
He, like they were, I think they were around for the Watts riots in that era. But dad was like, he, you know, he grew up in LA in the 60s, the 70s. It's a completely different era. Beach, you know, the Revolution. Beach Boys were, yep. I think they were from Inglewood. Um, yeah, so it was different. They built a boat in their backyard and sailed to Australia, dad and his sister. And he like, and then dad found Noosa and he's just never looked back. Really? So, yeah. He like built a cement boat. You should get him on here. He'll tell you a fucking story. Yeah, I would he's, love to. He got there and he does magic for a living for the last 40 years. That's right. You told me about that. Yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. funny character. But yeah, so like in reference to hip hop, I think, why did, sorry, this keeps, I think I'm tapping something. Um, in reference to hip hop, I don't think he, um, he wasn't, he wasn't in Inglewood when hip hop was around, I don't think. No. Yeah. Well, that would have been, if it was what, the 70s, hip hop would have still been in the Bronx, wouldn't it? Like late 70s kind of late thing. Late 70s. It was just like, I, I, you know what? I've never asked him about that. Yeah. So you're like, have you ever heard of, were you into funk at the time? Because that would have been the precursor, you know? Well, I, I guess so. Like, I know dad, I mean, he would have definitely had an experience of African-American culture growing up in Inglewood. He said that he remembers when um when African-American people started moving into the neighborhood and all the white people moved out, but his, his family, you know, they didn't, they didn't give a shit. And yeah. they're like, no, like, this is where we live. We don't care. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I don't, th he never mentioned hip hop though. Honestly, I think it was, he was, he was long gone before hip hop came. Yeah. 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 He was a noosa. <laughs> he was a fucking noosa. <laughs> Yeah. So you grew up in a, I mean, I've never been to Noosa. So it, for any sort of international listeners out there, which I think we do have a few, uh, what's Noosa like? Tropical. Noosa. What's it like? <laughs> Describe the geography. What was geography. my experience in Noosa or what is Noosa like? Uh, both. Start okay. with the, like start with the imagery. Okay. And then if you can move on to. Noosa's paradise. Noosa is the opposite of a war zone as I've come to look at it. Growing up in Noosa is boring and amazing at the same time because you realize boredom is a privilege. There's nothing happening. You're not worried about anything. Like we went to the beach every day and chilled out. There's laws against high-rise buildings. You don't need much money there, um, assuming that you don't care about, you know, buying fucking fancy cars and stuff and whatever. So Noosa's stunning. Mm. I love going back. Now that I've left Noosa, I have a point of reference to things like, you know, poverty and, and, and other things like that and going, oh, you can be born in, you know, it's fucking random. Noosa's the opposite of a war zone. It's, it's, it's a stunning place that it's really easy to get trapped in a bubble there and even forget that things outside of it exist. And it's, um, where is it sort of geographically in Australia? Uh, it's north of Brisbane by about an hour and a half on the, on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. yeah. So you're essentially a Queensland boy kind of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, like 25 years. And, um, and you said, well, you were very bored. Did that boredom sort of contribute to you writing a lot of content? Because when, you know, when you have that, usually when you're bored, it means you've got time. There's not much to do. So most people... Some people find a way to find some sort of hobby to, to, like for me in Bahrain, it was like, um, are you are you cutting out? Yeah, a little bit. Some the headphones. Down. I just need to not tap it. It's fine. The um, the cheapo jacks. It's all good. But uh, rest assured, your voice isn't choppy on my okay. end. I can hear you. you but was, I, sorry. Do you want to switch headphones? No, it's fine. You're saying in Bahrain. Uh, I'm saying in Bahrain is like, um, like you had soccer which, you know, obviously was a good way to kill time. 
Um, but as you sort of grow grow older, uh, you know, 16, 17, probably the same point where you, you know, start to really take writing lyrics a bit more seriously. For me, it was like oh, discovering DJing. Mm. Um, <clears throat> in that boredom, that then suddenly fills that space and time, you know. So, so then you get to create a lot. You get a lot of time to sort of hone and sharpen your skills. Um, was that something that happened for you in Noosa or did you sort of, did you move away from Noosa? Because you lived in Brisbane, was that, is that right? No, I moved from Noosa straight to Melbourne. Uh, and what year was that? I was 25. Okay. That was six years ago. So 2014. 2014. I think, yeah. And up until that point, were you at Noosa? For yes. your adult, your early adult yeah. life? Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, compare that in, in that entire space and time. Of, of, you know, so you said you were at 17, which is very impressive. You wrote an album with your bro. Yeah. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool, man. It's a great album and it's also terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a general theme in the album? Oh, it's just us being like underground rap kids thinking we got it tough in fucking Noosa. Yeah. Just trying to be hard, play hard. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're at a bit more of a realistic stage at that point, but at the same time, like, I definitely was trying to emulate, especially like English like street rap, like task force was like God to us. Like the crew task force was just who we always wanted to be. And they happen to be brothers as well. And oh. one has curly hair and one has straight hair like mine. They're really like, we really felt like a connection to them. And then our DJ was English and oh. like uh, the guy that produced the album was from um, Liverpool. So it was just like- Living in Noosa. Living in Noosa, yeah, yeah. He'd, he'd gone to high school in Noosa, but he had the full like Scouser accent. It's pretty funny. I was talking to him yesterday, actually. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So we made the album when we were seventeen, or when I was seventeen. All right. So, um, what kind of, in terms of, in terms of recording, uh, hip hop? Obviously, you need to have microphones. You need to have sort of a space to do that. What What did you guys have at seventeen, back then? I, I, I wouldn't have known. I you don't know. know. I remember Barry had CDJs, um, that he used to mix, like, perform live on, and. I got no idea, actually. When we first started recording, what was it? Cool Edit Pro was something we recorded on. <laughs> My brother is like prolific as fuck. He's recorded like 20 albums or something. He's recorded so much music. He doesn't do it as much anymore. He slowed down a bit. But yeah. when we were younger, he was obsessed with it. And he recorded so much. So these questions, he'd probably be able to answer easier than me. I just got in front of the microphone. I remember it was hot as fuck. It was really sweaty. I remember back then, it was like when you said, I'm going to the studio. People didn't really have much reference to that. So they thought it was probably pretty cool and didn't realize it was three sweaty dudes with their shirts off with a booth made out of mattresses they got from the side of the road. It, you know, it was it was not glamorous. It was a gross Those Barry work, sitting though. there eating fucking microwaved bacon in a bowl. <laughs> like it was, you know, going to the studio. Oh, fucking so sick. No, nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> It was a good time though. Smoking a lot of bongs, drinking a lot of passion pop. Which <laughs> is a perfect combination. It's, it's a horrible combination, but it was a good perfect time. Perfect nutrition. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good time. Um, so, you know, you had some resources to begin with to, you know, uh, to set you on on your sort of, on this trajectory you've yeah. been for the last, uh, I think you quoted in your bio, 19 years. 19 years this year, yeah. 19 years this year. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So, so let's look at the timeline here for a second. You're 12 okay. years old, 
And by 17, which is what, five years later, mm. you'd recorded your first album. It was out. Not a lot of people have it. If you had it, you had it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, People ask me for copies. I want a copy, I hear man. people hitting me up and going, hey, do you still have that album? I loved that back in the day. I'm like, I don't have it. You don't have it I've anymore. got it. It's on a CD in my house, but I have no way to like put it anywhere. I wouldn't want to, to be honest. I yeah. Would, I wouldn't put it out. Even just for gags. I've got, I made another album when I was 21 that's on CD. And how was that in comparison to... What, what what was the improvement? What did you see different from from that, in terms of your style, your flow? It's like there's multiple aspects. So you can talk about like the progress of me as a person, which is going to be reflected in the music I make, and then the project progress of me as an artist on a technical level of like knowing how to rhyme. And so when I was seventeen, I guess I was like a lot out of well. I would have considered at the time that I'd gone past my bad state, but now that I'm in a much better place now, I look back and I was in a horrible place as a person. And But when we were growing up in Noosa, like we really wanted to live the hip-hop life. And what we saw that as, which was just like emulated through gangster rap, was people having it hard and being around drug culture and violence. And so we, you know, we created that for ourselves. You participated in... Well, we just... We thought it was cool. And half my friends were from rough backgrounds and half my friends were like me from really good, like really like nice families. And, um, you know, we're just sort of playing a game, I guess, that we considered a game at the time. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so, you know, by the time I was 17, like, I look at all my music and it's just a progression of self. It's like learning and sort of, so if I look at like when, you know, when I was 14, I was writing garbage. I thought I knew everything, but I knew I could, I could fix the world and I couldn't even fix myself. And I didn't even know I was broken. And then, you know, at 17, probably pretty similar state, but maybe just like being myself more, but the world I created wasn't authentic of who I was. Um, and then when I was 21, getting a little bit better. Sorry, I'm going on such a rant. It's so weird to like recollect on so oh, many, you to. so yeah, many yeah. periods of um of progression as a person, and then trying to connect that to like your technical ability in an art form. Yeah, it's a weird time, man. We grew up in paradise, and we made it into a really rough fucking place for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Was that just a, as a byproduct of what you were trying to? Um, not necessarily uh, as a byproduct of trying to emulate the environment of the music you were listening to, or you had some junk and you know you had some sh skeletons in the closet kind of thing. You just like I don't know family issues or something. No, no, my family, my my parents are really lovely people, and they didn't divorce till I was seventeen. So I always had two parents in the home, and and even now they're 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 super close. Like they get along really well. We all have Christmas together every year. It's yeah. you know, I was really really lucky. So the question is like nature or nurture, like. Mm. You know, did my surroundings make me an addict and a fucking, you know, neurotic? Or did or did I, like, make that for myself because I was trying to emulate something, you know? Yeah. But I definitely thought it was cool to be fucked up. <laughs> and now that I am fucked up and I'm trying so hard, like, every day, it's, like, something I think about, like, how do I get my shit together, like, my head? Yeah. And it makes you wonder, like, when did it... You saying emotionally fucked up. Yeah, just as a, you know, as a person, just, like, trying to figure out 
fuck, man, I'm so tangential. I'm really confused to how we even got to this. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's it, well, um, uh, it kind of, it's sort of, it's a good segue into a lot of different things because uh, I feel like um, so much of one's drive comes sometimes from being in that dark place. And uh, it's actually one of the things I kind of wanted to talk to you about because you do sort of, in some of your lyrics, you know, you sometimes, in some of your tracks, you kind of go on a dark tangent. I mean, even just like, you know, recently, um, the track you, you know, you played for us here yeah. in the studio, um, even though I know I wasn't, I was paying attention more to how good the beat was, but that's ah, still paying you're such the a producer. Yeah, <laughs> the second part of it, I was, I decided to tune in more into what you're saying. And um, the fact that you have this innate ability to go dark in your tracks makes you even more relatable because mm. that's, that's the real, you know, that's for me, it's like, man, this guy, it's like, it's so nice to hear someone else not going through a dark time, but just express that darkness mm. and for the listener to be able to literally go, that's exactly how I feel sometimes. Well, you did that for me yesterday. Did I? Yeah, you and um, you and Albino both did because I, I started going to therapy a couple of years ago. And the reason I went to therapy is because I went to the doctor and got so many blood tests that my doctor was like, there's nothing wrong with you. You need to see a therapist. And what you were saying about being a hypochondriac, I absolutely had the same thing. Yeah. And still do. Like I got a chest x-ray the other week because I've been having a chest thing. And for the last month, I've been thinking I had cancer, even though I don't. And yeah. I, deep down, I know I don't, but I'm fucking neurotic and freaking out about it. Yeah. And Albino about talking about with his post-traumatic stress syndrome and looking up that as a definition and how that helped him. It was the same thing for me when I finally looked up what it meant to be neurotic and started reading about like neuroses and going, oh, this is like, this is a condition. Mm -hmm. And then coming back to the earlier question of what I was saying is just like, it makes you wonder like how, you born with it? We, you know? Because mm. a lot of the time you look at your family and you can see different family members and, you, and your siblings and stuff and they're playing out similar patterns and you're like, oh, is yeah. this in our blood? Is this like, is, is it just that I'm unconsciously like, would I be like this if I was raised by different people? Or you had a genetic, like, you know. Is it a genetic thing? Is it a bit of both? You know, it's, um, yeah. And, but then it's a blessing and a curse because like being aware of your shit makes you think about it a lot and mm. that's really hard. But then at the same time, we're so blessed to be artists because... If I didn't have art, I j the miserable would have no purpose. Whereas, you know, as an artist, when you're sad, you can make something really beautiful, like the song that you were just talking about, and then you you feel it, and you go, "Oh, cool, I'm not alone." And then, mm. and and then, you know, it makes you feel better. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. It's you know. Yeah, no, I I totally do. But then at the same time with what, um, with what Albino was also saying that I could relate to is, is it's really easy to romanticize misery. Yeah. Um, which when I was a kid, that's what we did. We, we romanticized struggle and misery to the point that we created it where it didn't exist. Mm. And really, really bad things happened. So when, when you were younger, yeah. Oh yeah, just growing up, like there was a lot of violence, a lot of drugs and nothing to do with like my, like, you know, it's just like, what we chose, what I chose to surround myself with, wasn't yeah. positive. Um, I mean, it wasn't. You know, like it it's, it's not. Ways. It's not to paint to paint like oh, you know, grew up and like I had a great childhood. Like growing yeah, up yeah, as a teenager, yeah. I was like super, super lucky. Like, and I know that. Like, I was very, very blessed to be where I was. But yeah, definitely. Like, um, I mean, I you know, I thought it was cool to be tough, and I thought it was cool to be feared, 
And I thought all of these, like, it sickens me now. It's a very strange way to be that you, that you want people to fear you. Like, that's sick in the head. Yeah. Why would you want that? Now I want the opposite. I want people to be able to come to me. And, um, and I want to be able to go to others for help. And the opposite of fear. Why would, yeah. You know, yeah. Sometimes it's like I, um, I wish, uh, you know, obviously we get a lot of support from our parents. It's a similar situation to you, you know, like good parents, great family, really safe environment for the most part. Definitely listening to gangster rap made you fucking think you're hot. You want to be hard and, you know, lots of fights in high school and shit. Yeah. I was like, man. It's not to pass off the responsibility either, though, because at the end of the day, they're expressing their surroundings. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the, the thing for me is like, would you sometimes, wouldn't it just have been great if you had this uh, older figure that's like, you know, maybe in their sort of early 20s or mid 20s that was doing, you know, doing, say, hip hop, for example, that was a mentor or like, hey, listen, you know, like a mentorship program where it's like, listen, man, you don't need to be tough all the time. What you need to be doing is like, just put pen to paper and just focus on, you know, focus on music. Like I um, I had that a bit later on, like from older DJs that were, you know, that were when I first came to Melbourne, like I had a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, like an older brother that was into the same thing that I had that was kind of like had enough life experience to go, hey man, you want to tone it down with the partying or you want to like just don't forget who you are kind of thing. Yeah. And, and what really matters is, you know, the people you love, your family, yourself, and all this. And it's like, I wish I had that, but I feel like the fact that I didn't and I had to go through such, like, through the, through the ringer, and I say ringer, like mental ringer, you know, um, made me have to figure things out on my own. And so it's like now I've even got more mental resilience and toughness, even though it's so easy to fall back onto a neurotic mm. version of yourself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's like a one thing actually that I uh, admire about you is like even, you know, you've been what, sober now for a few years. Eight years. Eight years. Well, sober from alcohol. I like alcohol. to specify that or else I'm just going to look like a total hypocrite if someone sees me out rinsed as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I haven't drank alcohol in eight years. Yeah. yeah. Is that part of, um, I know we've talked about this in the past, but part of the, the sort of um, healing process for you, you know, you want to, be sharper, you want to be, you know, what, what's the reason behind that? Um, I started to feel like I couldn't go out without drinking. And I don't mean just like going out in the morning or whatever, but going to parties or whatever, like a lot of anxiety would come up. And it, we didn't, I didn't have a language for it back then. I didn't know what I was going, what it was about. And even like now that I'm like 31, only in the last year have I really stopped and go, oh, you're an addict. I'll turn anything into into addiction. I'll tell, I'll tell you a story. It's like one of, the, one of the things that happened that made me realize this is that when I went, I moved to Malaysia two years ago. I was living in a house at the time in Coburg. There was a couple that lived upstairs. There was a couple that lived downstairs. And I was just about to go overseas. And the couple, one of the couples upstairs, that's right, they're both upstairs. It's irrelevant anyway. One of them <laughs> moved out. So they were gone. And, um, and I was really sick. So it's just me and this couple that was left over. And I went into the freezer one night and there was an ice, there was a pack of ice blocks and there was five of them in an eight pack. And I ate one of them because I just replaced it in the morning, you know, housemate shit. And then I ate all five of them because I figure if I'm going to replace them, I could just eat them. 
And then I replaced them the next day. And the next day I ate them again. The day after that, I did the same thing. I did this five days in a row. So at this point, I've eaten 40 ice blocks in five days. <laughs> Basically frozen sugar. Sorry, icy poles <laughs> icy for you pole. fucking Victorians. Yeah. People always pull me up on that story. Okay, so I've eaten 40 icy poles in like five days. Yeah. So at this point, I smarten up. I'll buy myself a pack and their pack. And then I'll just eat my pack. I ate all of them. Yeah. Fucking like 18 icy poles in a day. That's a lot of sugar. So much. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So Will then- Will you bounce it off the walls? No, probably not. I, I don't know. I work from home. I'm just like hanging out, working, eating icy poles all the time. So then those housemates that were staying there, they, they went to Japan. And by the time they get back, I was going to be gone to Malaysia, moved, moved out of the country. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, cool. New plan. No more icy poles. The hour before I leave for the airport, I'll buy the pack. Yeah. I'll throw it in the fucking freezer and I'll run <laughs> away before I eat them. Yeah. So anyway, so I go down there, like I've, I've, I've bond cleaned my room. I've packed everything. Everything's in storage. I've got all my shit. I put my phone on charge. I put the keys down so my housemates know where they are. I'm like, cool, good to go. I skate down. I get the icy poles. I'm eating three of them on my way back because remember, there was only five in the eight pack. <laughs> not, I'm not a charity, okay? So, <laughs> so I'm eating the three. I get back to the door and the fucking, the fucking house is locked with the keys inside. So my addiction is put me in a tough situation. Yeah. I hop over the back and luckily the back door was unlocked. It was very lucky because I was like about to take an international flight for an unforeseen amount of time. And um, funny, when I got to Malaysia, I was talking to my housemates, not the ones that went to Japan, but the one had, who'd moved out. And um, I told her this story and she goes, oh man, those were my ice poles. You could have just had them. Uh -huh. So this whole time I'm replacing icy poles for someone who doesn't even live in the house anymore. But the moral of his story is basically if you ever see me do drugs or drink alcohol, that's how I do it. Yeah. Is those icy poles, that compulsive, like intense, mm. like addict behavior. Yeah. And when I started telling that story to people, like I tell it at poetry nights or something, it's like, you know, just like something light to talk about. Yeah. I started realizing, oh, like you don't have an off switch when you get going. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when it comes to alcohol, when I was 23, blacking out a lot, so many apologies were said to my friends for the behavior I was showing um, that one of my friends who honestly, I tell this and I hope people take this as a lesson because it was a huge lesson for me. Like how I am as a person and what I see as loyalty and real friendship, not just when it's easy, but when someone's being a bad person and the way that you engage with your friend to try to help them be better. Like my friend, I, I had a blackout night, act like a total prick, did a bunch of shit I'm not going to mention, nothing illegal, but just was a fucking piece of shit. And the next day, my friend wouldn't talk to me. He didn't talk to me for a month. He's like my, one of my bestest friends. Finally, I get him on the phone. I'm like, what the fuck? And he said to me, he said, I wanted to talk to you immediately, but I knew if I did, I'd just yell at you. And it would be about me getting out my frustration for how I feel about your behavior. But I think you need help. And I needed to, to take time to deal with how angry I was with you in order for me to tell you this today. He said, your, your apologies don't mean anything to me anymore. Your word doesn't mean anything to me anymore. And if you want to make it better, you got to make some steps to make it really better. 
And I was like, okay, off the phone, kept drinking. A couple of weeks later, talked to him, still weird vibe. What's going on? He's like, you still drinking? I'm like, yeah, but I apologized. He's like, that's not the point, dude. You need to stop drinking for a year and your apologies will mean something to me again. So I stopped. And when you're an addict and like the fucking level of drinking I was at with this, it was, it's a nightmare. Like waking up and not remembering anything you did and having to like figure it out and hope that it wasn't something that you can't take back. And like, mm, it's the, the worst feeling, something I never want to feel ever again and paying money to do it. And just, it's just horrible. Anyway, so after a year, people are like, you're going to have a drink again now that your year's up? No, because I'd learned to not drink anymore. And now I'm at a point where I just don't care anymore. I don't, I don't need to drink alcohol. And I'm really glad because my dad used to drink a lot and he quit. And that was another lucky thing though. You know, a lot of people try to quit, especially booze. And the people they love the most are telling them, why? Yeah. Why are you doing that? They don't support it. So lucky for me, once again, like really blessed, like really very nice family. My biggest inspirations, my mom and my dad were both like supportive of it. And my dad had already laid down a blueprint because he hadn't drank in probably 10 years. So yeah. yeah, so that's, I guess that's, that's where I'm at now, but it's fine. Like I, you know, I don't care if people drink around me. Like I don't care. It's all about how it affects you. Yeah. And I think booze for some people, it's fine. And for some people, they shouldn't drink. And I'm just one of those people. It just, it's really, really fucking negative for me. Yeah, I, uh, preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very similar relationship. And I've, I've had those blackouts and definitely been told by a lot of people, you know, you should, this probably isn't, you know, for you. And even in, in probably this year, particularly, it's like been a, I'm kind of like, I guess, slowly moving away from it even though there's a bottle of Hendrix, it's empty. And we had it oh, on yeah. the first podcast. It was a tiny, tiny bit. Um, yeah, it's it's strange. I do enjoy the taste. I do enjoy the experience of it, but it's um, it serves you no good, mm. I think, in the long run. And if it just doesn't serve you good, then... Serves, if it does the opposite, I mean, if it... You know, yeah. I still abuse, like, certain substances. It's just more that when I do them... They don't effect. make they they only affect me in a negative way, which is something I should look at as the substance, well. The other, substance, or you, other substances, but yeah. the thing about booze that made me feel that it was a responsibility for me to stop is that it's not just about me. Is that when I switch over to Lewis, that's what my friends used to call me. They'd go, "Oh, I'd I'd go, what happened last night?" And they would go, "Fuck, you left early, but Lewis showed up." And the moment I hear that, I'm like, "Fuck." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when that happens and I'm just going to become like the responsibility for everyone and mm. they're not going to be able to have a good night because they're going to have to worry about their friend having a fucking breakdown and throwing bottles at police cars and fucking acting like a fucking maniac. That's the thing about being neurotic is that you are so nervous about pissing people off all the time. You're so much anxiety about like any conversation I'll leave. Like after this podcast today, I guarantee I'm going to go home and I'm going to obsess about everything I said. And like, did I annoy anyone? Did I piss anyone off? Did I, you know, how people are going to see me? You know, and I'm, I've, I've learned to get better at that. So I'll probably shut that off like early. because I'll, I'll try to rip the root out before it grows into too much of a weed in my head. But 
I think that's why the drinking gets crazy for me is that I'm so obsessive about not pissing people off that you get some booze in me and that switches off. And all of that anxiety of like holding the wall of not bothering people is just gone and I become a fucking mutant of just thinking I'm the funniest fucking person, but I'm just an arrogant prick. (laughs) Totally. So I'm just, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so. Uh, Look, it's... um, you don't need to be neurotic about any of that shit because I think a lot of people relate relate to it. And I'm it's not a need. It's just a I don't know what it's it is. It's a habit. It's, it's an obsessive habit. Yeah. yeah it's an obsessive yeah. behavior in your brain. I, I can tell you, even just you saying that for me is kind of like just kind of creating a moral compass for myself to just like just that moment when you were saying all of that, I'm like, fuck, he's so right. <laughs> just like going. Geez, man, I gotta, I gotta shape up. You know, like it makes me feel a bit like, yeah, I've really dropped the ball. You know, um, a few times this year, and especially maybe last year. Um, yeah, being a dad, man. You know, just being a dad and kind of going out a few nights and really getting like that blackout sort of thing, mm. and had to have my mates carrying me mm. in here. I mean, I'm, what I'm saying is probably pretty vulnerable for me to say, uh, but you know. It's definitely, and having my missus kind of pull me up on it and going, mm. you have a responsibility now. Mm. You know, you have a wife and daughter and you can't be doing that. That shit mm. doesn't fly anymore. Yeah, It's like, um, and even sort of still keep on, like, you know, having doing that again and again in lesser forms, but still doing it. It's like, makes me kind of go, you really got to pull the plug on it. The, this is the question is that, because if you can do, you know, I said it to a friend one day. Um, he was he was asking me why I quit drinking. I told him one of the stories about you know some fucking hectic night I'd had, and then he told me one of his stories, and his story was way worse <laughs> than my story. <laughs> and um, and he and then he took a sip of his beer and he goes, "But all in moderation, right?" And I said, "Yeah, that's the thing. I can't moderate it, and I've yeah. accepted that now." And then he took another sip of his beer and he looked into the distance and he goes, yeah, neither. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's the question, I think. It's it's lovely to think like, oh, all in moderation and all this stuff and great if you can fucking do it. But sometimes it's more painful to moderate than just to stop. Yeah. Because if you just stop, then you can stop thinking about it and eventually you won't think about it anymore. But if you try to have this like balance beam of your relationship with this drug that you compulsively are going to inevitably end up in the same place if you keep doing it that's that's way more painful it's much more difficult mm. um so i think that's the thing is just like well if you can't moderate in, in many cases it's probably something that you're not going to be able to change yeah so you just just don't stop you just don't yeah which is hard because you got to be social you know and that's it's fucking hard man it's hard going to parties and like talking to people and you get used to it but it's just i, th- I think it's like any drug drugs are a cheat sheet Sometimes you got to take the test and the test is just going there. When I go out and I'm not feeling social, I just go home. If you're drinking, it's fine because you go out, you don't feel social, you have a couple of drinks and all of a sudden it kicks in and you're all good. You're there. So it's just one of those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, in order to be able to enjoy it and not kind of to moderate, you got to look at the problem deep on a deeper level. You've got to sort out the addiction first. You know what I mean? Like the problem is a psychological problem. It's a, it's, it's not your relationship with the booze. It's just the byproduct of 
you know what I mean? That internal crap that you, you're sort of dealing and you're just using that as a way to, you know, for me, it has been anyway. So I'm like, well, if you address the root problem, you know, and that's like, yeah, go see a psychologist, go, go sort that, you know, for me, sometimes, you know, when I, I've really cut down on drinking significantly, yeah. um, almost to very rarely, you know, like once every couple of, <clears throat> once, once every, once a month or even just once every three months now, yeah. um, which is really great for me. You know, considering that in my younger years, like in Australia, obviously from 18 to 23 was like, like every day, mm. you know. Um, and once I replaced that uh, and I got a few injuries, then I went into food, eating food, you yeah, know. So then, and then it's like overeating becomes a thing. And and so it's like, you, go, you just got to go and see someone about that. You got to look deeper and obviously that external part, the third person who's, you know, trained and is able to help you point out the patterns to yourself is, yeah, it's red, it's hard. It's hard. Therapy's hard. Yeah. Because yeah, it makes you look at aspects of yourself. You just, you, you've been hiding, you've been avoiding. Didn't even know about. Yeah. I did therapy like twice a week for an entire year and I am less happy than I was before I went in, but I'm way more aware of who I am yeah. and the dark, like facing the darkness within myself. It's fucking scary looking at yourself in the mirror, man. Mm. Especially when you stare at yourself on that kind of a level for a long time, because essentially that's what a therapist is. They're like a mirror. They're like helping you see your reflection more and look at who you are and why you are. And what do you do the things that you do in that way? <sighs> So hard. I'd go in happy, leave sad, go in sad and leave happy. It was it's a bizarre, it's almost a psychedelic experience going to therapy a lot because you don't know this person. Yeah. I'd say to him, you know me better than anybody. You know me better than I knew myself a year ago before I came in here. <laughs> That's bizarre. Yeah. Why? Because you got a piece of paper on the wall. I'd be like, what's the deal with your piece of paper? You'd be like, oh, it's this. I don't know those people. <laughs> <laughs> Some dude that I also don't know who got another piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. And this isn't downplaying psychologists. I'm not at all, but it's just more the psychedelic, bizarre experience of being in this fucking room that you only have one reference point to. Yeah. Which is yeah. going in and talking about your deepest and darkest feelings to someone you've only just met that you don't know, yeah. who doesn't tell you anything about themselves. It's yeah. a fucking weird experience. I think everyone should do it. I think it's great. I think therapy is really, really valuable. I, I've done it too. Yeah. I agree yeah. with you wholeheartedly on that one. I think it's the thing that got me through my sort of the most difficult parts of my life. But it, all that being said, yeah, I, um, I want to know, like, just to sort of bring it back into music is how that now that we've talked about sobriety and psychology and all that, how did all of that sort of therapy help your toolbox? Like, uh, oh, you're, you know, sharpen your toolbox. As an artist. As an artist, how did that come into play? I don't think it did. It changed things. I don't think it sharpened things. Like I really do look at it. There's two levels. There's like your technical ability and then there's like your ability or willingness. I don't know what you'd call it to connect with source with just like opening up and seeing the art in the world and within yourself. And, um, and I think that's what the greats have so much so that it might kill them. You know what I mean? Like there's these artists that have such a thin layer between themselves and the world that they've got to numb themselves with drugs or exercise. They could do it either. They could do it or meditation. They could do it in healthy ways or unhealthy ways. A lot of the time it's unhealthy. They end up dying, you know, as we've seen time and time again. Um, but I think that part, the 
group therapy, all that, it is more connected to your ability and your relationship with source or whatever you want to call it, you know, inspiration, the ethos, like whatever. And for me, I don't know. I always saw art in the world from a really young age. You know what I mean? How do you write a poem? You look around the world. It's a pretty interesting place if you're really sensitive to it. And that's why it's weird being an artist because you've got, in order to be a good artist, you need to be really sensitive. And the best artists in the world are so sensitive. And that's why they can explain things in such a beautiful way. But also, the industry of being an artist is like one of the most judgmental things ever. You're putting yourself out there and everyone's going to tell you they fucking love you or hate you or whatever. Mm. So it's like, in order to be this, you have to be sensitive. What is the industry? The last place a sensitive person should be. So how has it affected me as an artist? I don't know. But I definitely like looking at my music as a gradual development, the same way I like looking at myself as a person and life as a gradual development. Um, so I enjoy that it has, it has, um, it has uh, furthered along the narrative because the last thing I want to do is be 60 and writing about the shit I wrote about when I was 17. Yeah. You know what I mean? So expanding and developing and contradicting yourself because that comes with it too. We're all hypocrites sometimes. I'd look at lyrics I wrote when I was younger and be like, that's disgusting. You're an idiot. What the fuck? Yeah. Thank, thankful for that because if I didn't, it means I'd still be there and mm. that's stupid. So yeah, I don't know if it's affected me as much on like a technical level, but I don't know. I'm more sensitive. I guess I think about things in a different way, write about it differently. I've been writing more stories recently, more fiction, uh, fictional stories, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to make beats now. Might not even be a rapper one day. I'd be in the industry of feelings. That's what you beat makers are like. You don't even have words. You just make people feel things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is so much more subjective. I mean, lyric, lyric, lyricists also inspire some type of subjective receiving of their music, but producers whole other ballpark yeah yeah just as important i think oh if not more mm. producers producers man yeah. you put me with a great you put a shit rapper with a great producer could be a good album you put a shit producer with a great rapper could be a really bad album. yeah, yeah, yeah. you know no, what i mean? think that's producers are extremely i don't even i haven't been following rappers recently i've just been finding my favorite producers yeah. dj premier alchemist Ninth Wonder, discovered Marco Polo last week. Now I'm listening to Master Ace again. You know, it's like, producers, man. Yeah. Fucking on one. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess like, um, you said that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't sharpen the tools that you had, but it changed the content of your lyrics. Yeah. And, and that's something uh, I can also relate to because, uh, same as you, and I, I, I had to dabble into writing lyrics and stuff like that. Never been much of a freestyler, but you know that. Okay. Uh, oh, I love your freestyle. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's all pre-written, bro. What are you talking about? Oh, that's right. You do do pre-written. I write pre-write. I've heard you do some freestyles. They yeah. were definitely freestyles. It was good. I yeah, enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah. But I, just hanging with you and like Jillo, for example, is definitely rubbed off and, and with a circle of friends yeah. that… Uh, don't even have like, you know, we have some friends that they don't even, they're not in the music industry, yeah. but yet they can freestyle. And that's impressive. And Yeah. And that it. inspires me. It's like, well, if they can do it, you know, you can do it. And you've got, you've got that. But um, look at Shia LaBeouf. You seen him freestyle? Yeah, yeah. It was on Sway in the Morning. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like he said, he said, you know, a lot of my friends do this. He was saying Tom Hardy does it as well. 
Tom Hardy. He like says Bane. Tom he said Hardy. Tom Hardy's a really good freestyle. He says Tom Hardy freestyles all the time. Fuck I know him. I know a lot of people that freestyle for fun. It's just a social thing. A lot of the time they're better than us rappers. And it's because they don't give a shit because the art of freestyle comes with loosening your brain enough to shut off that like crit critic. Yeah. And then you become really dope. Yeah. It's not really like because everyone knows what words rhyme together. We've all got a dictionary of rhyming words. It's just about being able to shut off that voice. Yeah. 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 That's another art form in itself. I mean, okay, so would where do you classify yourself in that category? You're an MC. An MC usually states that you go out there and you battle, you know, you battle cats. Some do. Battle MCs do. Yeah. But for you, is it, how, where, where, do you, where do you consider yourself? Are you like- Now? Yeah, no. Are you freestyler, spoken word oh, artist, no. and rapper? I love to freestyle, but it's more in a social nature. Mm. I used to busk a lot um, with my best mate, Casey, and we used to freestyle a lot. And that was, it had a time for me. And now it's just like, love freestyling when I'm around all my mates and yeah. we're freestyling. But like when I perform live, I very rarely freestyle. Yeah. Shem is like liquid. My DJ makes fun of me <laughs> relentlessly for my lack of skill in freestyling. I almost feel like I want to become good at freestyling just to shut him the fuck up. <laughs> like I'll do a freestyle. Like, you tell Shem about this. You tell Shem I was on fire tonight. Because yeah. he, he just, he won't believe me. He's listening to it right now. I fucking hear you. I hear your judgment. <laughs> Yeah, and he's <laughs> anyway, a surgical cat, so he's, he's, he'll hone in on you. <laughs> it's because, here's the thing. One time, my friend, my best mate, Casey, he, he ran a festival. and um, What festival? Uh, it was called Faraway Festival. It was in Stanthorpe. It's only like 300 people, mini doof. Just all these friends playing music. It's really beautiful out there. I was up for two days partying. I finally went to sleep in, in Casey's parents' house because it was on their block of land. Fell asleep. You know when you sleep, you don't sleep a lot, so you're probably better off not sleeping because you wake up completely fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I woke up. I don't know. I don't re like. I remember this, but it was just like I was in a dream. I woke up. I hear Dan dyslexic, and he's like, "MCs to the stage." I wobble out of the house, walk onto the stage. All of a sudden, I'm on a stage, and Dan hands me a microphone. And then supposedly Shem says I started freestyling in slow motion. I was like, "Yo, what you got?" So anytime freestyling comes up with me, Shem references that. <laughs> That's how I freestyle. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm totally diverging. So um, no, I'm not a freestyle artist. How do I see myself as an MC? Because uh, you said you've battled. I did when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, we used to love battling. I was obsessed with battle culture. I used to watch it so much. I was talking to a battle MC a while ago about this in Brisbane who battles a lot. And he was like, man, you were feared back in the day. But I wasn't. Well, I was, but it was like this strange illusion. I went in one battle competition. I was the only sober guy there. Everyone was so drunk they could barely rhyme words together. I slaughtered most people there. Not all of them. There were some people that were doing pretty good. I went through and fucking destroyed a heap of people. Everyone's like, whoa, kudos to a good battle MC. Went in one other battle, got fucking destroyed by this guy. Never battled again. That was my battle career. So mm. I don't know. Anyway, I think the thing about MCing and hip hop that a lot of people forget is that it's easy to think it's about me, the MC, and everyone look at me, look at me, look at me. But MCing, you're the master of ceremonies. You're the party rocker. You're there to entertain and fucking express yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And when you see greats, like real greats, like when I saw Master Ace perform or when we saw KRS-One perform, Ooh. it's like, holy shit, I didn't know what MCing was. I thought it was this thing about me. And then you see them and you're like, wow, they're a conduit for something much bigger, mm. much more important. And it can be fun or it can be political or it can be, it can be so many things. 
But when you see artists like that, especially someone like KRS-One, who really speaks strongly on what does it mean to be the MC, you know, as an MC, how am I? I'm a fucking student. I just want to get better. I really like the poetry aspect of it, like expressing myself. But I am just stoked to be able to look up to people like KRS-One as like a student and always trying to learn and meeting more MCs. And, and luckily enough that some of my friends around me are such good MCs. Roman from Bullhorn, you know, Master Wolf, Late One. Like I could just name MCs all day that I'm around that I'm just like, holy shit, you know, one six. Like these people blow my fucking mind. So. It's kind of hard to say, like, what kind of an MC, what kind of an artist are you? Where do you stand? Yeah, you know what I mean? You're a, you're a culmination of every experience you've ever had with an art form and as well as, like, just the things you've seen in life. So, like, you know, mm -hmm. how would you answer it? I'm, I'm interested. Okay, from the outside, you've seen me MC a million times. Yeah. What, what do you say? Like, is it, is it simpler to answer it from the outside? I think as the artist, it's, it's hard. To, like, you know, what are you? I'm a rapper, you know. Uh, rapper. Yeah, yeah, I just go, yeah, you rapper, lyricist, and storyteller. Okay, there you go. Cool. Because you, know, you do, like like you said, you know how you said earlier that you, you were writing fiction. Uh, it's like when I called you the other day and I said, bro, that, that track, uh, was it Bubbles with your mate Scott? Oh, yeah, Bubbles, yeah. You know, it, it cracked me up so much. I was like, mm -hmm. it's such a, you're actually a fantastic storyteller. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that. Yeah, and um, and you're also a really good roaster. <laughs> oh, I love roasting. Because that's, you know, we had this roasting game at a mate's uh, wedding. We're not getting into We're that. We're not getting into that. <laughs> Let's just say that... Uh, shit went a bit south. Yeah, shit went a bit south. Nobody took it personal. Kudos uh, had really good roast because he just made shit up on the spot. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was the fictional guy that Yeah, night. he made fictional <laughs> shit made on the spot. Made up lies. <laughs> yeah, but they were such good fictional lies that you, you know... Uh, Don't you dare say I am not going to say any that of that. We're not going to go... That night. It was, it was a fun... It was a fun, fun ordeal. Yeah. Um, ordeal. Ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was an ordeal. Uh, <laughs> I had to endure it. Um, anyways, yeah, you're a good storyteller, man. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Um, and... On, on on that note, um, I wanted to sort of ask you, was there ever like a, a pivotal moment for you that you, you're like, that's it. This is what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I'm going to like, I'm going to be, I'm going to do this maybe for the rest of my life or at least for, yeah. you, you know, like music. This is it. Like, was it at that young age or when you really started, when was the time that you really started to go? I'm going to be really serious. I want yeah. to up, up the ante. Yeah, when I was a kid, you know, when I was 10 or whatever, I, you know, like I said, I always wanted to be a singer. And then I got a little bit older and I had a vocal coach. His name was Patrick Alton. And he was a huge inspiration to me because it was the first time I had a vocal coach that wasn't just a teacher, but he was a friend and a total mentor, especially when it came to art. Um, for those listening, Patrick Alton wrote the Aussie Kids Are Weebix Kids song. So anyone... <laughs> in my generation knows what that is. But he did a bunch of other stuff. He was a producer. He was a beautiful guy. Anyway, so it went from being wanting to be a singer to wanting to be a vocal coach because I wanted to be like Patrick. And, um, and rapping was always seen as kind of the fun thing. And then, but it's not a career. Rapping, you can't do that as a career. You got to do something more professional, like be a singer. But then people paved the way. You know, a lot of people started making careers out of it. And I was like, I want to I want to give this a, a red hot go. And I was never very good at singing. And the reason I wasn't very good at it was because I wasn't very passionate about it. It just wasn't where my, where my love lied. Um, when I was a kid, all I wanted to be was an underground rapper. Everyone I idolized, Sage mm. Francis, Task Force, Murs, you know, these rappers. 
I just wanted to be like them. And now I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an underground rapper that no one really knows about. But when I speak with people, you know, they seem to enjoy it. And, and that gives me a lot of love. So, but yeah, I'd say 17, there was a certain point where I said, I can do this. Yeah. 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 Whether or not it's, you know, because things change. Because I don't really necessarily want a career in rapping now. Like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know if I'd want a career in rapping. It's just a career as a musician, right? Maybe not. Not even. I mean, it's it's hard because you've got to be careful what you wish for, right? So, say like I got a, you got a pressure for work. Um, you know, work you got to work at it all the time. If you don't do it, you can't pay rent. You start stressing about it. it might ruin what I love. You know, you got to be. I got to be aware of that. That it might ruin what I love. Too mm. many people listening to it. Too many opinions might fuck with how I write. Might ruin what I love again. You got to be careful what you wish for. Yeah. So, I want people to listen to my music and enjoy it and get something out of it. I want to go to a show, like a room where, and you know, there'd be at least, you know, maybe a hundred people, enough people for it to be a vibe and we can rock the party and they can be my friends. They can be supporters or like whatever. But the idea now that I had when I was younger of like, I wanted people to scream my name and recognize me. That's not really about art. It's about fame and it's about insecurity for me. Mm. I can't speak for other people. You can speak for me. There you go. Same I mean, thing. I'm sure it relates to a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. And, and that, now as an adult, I'm like, I don't, yeah. You know, we leave behind things like you were saying before, legacy, you know, what I want is that when I eventually die, that people look back as an artist, what I want. And I made like really good music that people really enjoyed. And it doesn't have to be millions of people. It doesn't even have to be thousands. But just the people that listen to it go, yeah, that dude was here and he was real and he fucking he made something mm. that he cared about. Yeah. So it's funny. But I, I made it. I'm an underground rapper. So like, <laughs> fuck yeah, like 12-year-old me. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. did it. You're an underground rapper. <gasps> uh, Look, so uh, part of, uh, yes, you are an underground rapper, but to to the Melbourne scene, at least, or to the Australian scene, you're starting to become over the last few years. There's definitely been, in my in my eyes, mm. a massive sort of shift. And maybe maybe I don't know if it's your game plan or the way you're, you know, you've got a, a string of really impressive music videos. You know, all credit to both you and and James Gillo, and also David Deggs. Who's that? He was the guy that did my videos before Jello. Okay, he made some really good ones. Is that the? Is he one of the guys who you had the The video where I put a hat over the camera and I keep taking it off and transferring myself into different places? Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, you should check it. What's the name of the track? Uh, I suffer nothing. I suffer nothing. Yeah. Okay. And then the other one, maybe he did. Did he do the one where your face kind of goes into the? That was David Dex as well. I I really enjoyed um, listening to that and watching it as well. Yeah. Um. And at one point, you were walking down an alleyway, and some guy was holding a fucking oh yeah the the, the framed pants <laughs> the yeah, framed pants I've still got like, those in my mate's house. It's funny. Um, and obviously, your collaboration with uh, you know having you've got a bunch of you said you had Clean Beats as one of your producers. Clean Beats produced the Stop Trying EP. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and then Yuri Tobler produced Give, which is the other EP before that. Yeah, and now I'm working with Delhi Press. Delhi. <laughs> Great names. You gotta love the, the names, isn't it? People. People in their creativity, <laughs> creative names. Um, and obviously having a fan, phenomenal DJ. Uh, yeah. Oh, we, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, liquid uh, shim, shimmer, shimmer liquid. I just call him shimmer liquid. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure either one's cool. He really embodies um, turntablism, isn't he? Like he's yeah. It's uh, and and so that's like one thing I really like about your performances is you have a, a foundation of that hip hop culture in your yeah. in your shows. You know the turntable, the scratch. Where it all started. Exactly. That's where it all began. And I like that you pay homage to that in mm. a sense. Um, I don't know. Again, I. I love hip hop. I love the music. I haven't been to a lot of hip hop shows. So when you say you went to see KRS One, yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, wow. It's a different level. I also got to see Wu Tang at the Opera House a couple of years ago. Yeah. Anytime there's a great, like one of the real greats that come through, you just, you should try to see it. Barrow Monch, Talib Kweli, Most Def, KRS One, any of these people. Mm -hmm. I, I always think it's worth. It's worth seeing. And then some of the now greats, you know, people like J. Cole or Kendrick Lamar, they're now greats. But honestly, there's something about people from the 90s that it's like, it's not that they're a different level in way better or worse, but it's just like you'll learn a lot about what hip hop is at its core by listening to those people. When we saw KRS-One perform, my friend got me in early so we could watch him sound check. Watching him sound check dropped my jaw. Like, he went up to every single speaker and was like, yo, 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 bring it to capacity, bring it to capacity, yo, yo. Went to the next one, did the same thing. Like his intensity, mm -hmm. like when he walked in, you got all these like old rockers doing sound and shit, you know, like classic like sound guys, like rock looking dudes. Yeah. Like when he walked in, it was like, oh, the God's here. Like everybody knew it. Yeah. It didn't matter like what background you were. Like this guy introduced extra elements to hip-hop like entrepreneurialism and fashion mm. and and slang and stuff like that and it was universally accepted he wrote the hip-hop bible the scholar mc is that what he, they call him he's the scholar they call him the, he's the teacher the teacher yeah, yeah and he he is nuts like he not nuts in a bad way like in an amazing way his son was djing for him he's very political you know he, he uh, he's spoken on the lack of rights we have in airports so he gets a boat around the world when he tours. That's really? why I was going to miss the show. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can make it. My mate's like, dude, he might not come back. He came here on a fucking boat with all his family. Like, it's like, you got to come. I was like, okay, I, I better come. He travels around the world with a boat. You'd have to look into it more and okay. like what he says to get details of why because I, I, I'll, I'll definitely butcher it. I haven't... Dude, I haven't we got to fact check it, yeah. Yeah, you'd want to fact check it, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, he came on a boat and then like, yeah, he was up on stage. He was like, I'm going to teach you a bit about the cipher. I remember he was like, He's like, first of all, fuck MTV. Second of all, fuck BET. And when they come to the show and they're at the front door and they're asking me to let them in, I say no. <laughs> and then he pushed into the crowd, sold out crowd, pushed in with security guards. The security guards opened up a circle. Somehow I'm at the edge of the circle. So he's right in front of me and he's like, yo. <laughs> like he's freestyling and I'm just like, dude is like a cannon. Like yeah. these are powerful individuals. Yeah. Leaders, you know? truly thinking about people outside of themselves and what they're doing. It's, it, it's fucking stunning. And I, I'm going on a sidetrack from what we're talking about, but I would just recommend any time that one of the greats comes. Gotta go. 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 Whether you've listened to them or not, if you know their name in that level, oh, this is one of the greats, mm. just fucking go. Because it'll, it'll really teach you something yeah. about, about this thing we love so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing as well? Especially when you when you don't know, you know of that name, for example, that that's a great. And then you're just like, fuck it, I'm just going to go to that show because my mates are really into it and they've got a ticket for me. Have you ever been in that experience and then you go to the show 
and you're so blown away by that performance because it's obviously, first off, it's it's new to you uh, and everything from the beats to the raps to the stage presence, the performance just ensnared, like ensnares you so much and you're hooked in. You're, an over, you're a fan overnight. Has that happened to you? That's happened to me heaps. I'm trying to think of someone who I like didn't know of before. I mean, KRS was definitely one of them because I'd listened to him, but not yeah. like, wasn't like a big KRS guy. But after seeing him now, like I love KRS. Mm. Um, trying to think of you anyone else. You go on this else. tangent, don't you, of like listening to their entire back catalog? Oh yeah, I always pull up. There's certain greats where I've always got to go back and listen again to remind myself of sort mm. of what we do and like why we do it and the people that sort of, yeah, like paved that way. I mean, Rakim's a great example. I mean, The Rakim. God MC. I pretty much like to listen to anyone, anyone that you, the greatest rappers are students. Yep. They're always learning and they're always moving forward. So when you listen to Eminem, if you really listen to Eminem, he pays homage to all of them. Yeah. Um, Rather Rugged Man pays homage to all of them. Rather Rugged Man has one rap where he says like, I don't want fans who don't, who don't know who Cool G rap is. And you'll hear that sentiment across a lot of rappers mm. regarding Cool G rap. I didn't yeah. know who Cool G rap is. Now I listen to Cool G rap. Okay, cool. I'm a fan of this now. Exactly Eminem same. mentioned Rakim. I didn't really got into Rakim and Eric B. I'm like, oh shit, this is... He's, the, he's one of the greatest MCs of all time. ASAP Rocky. You know ASAP Rocky? I don't listen to his music, yeah, okay. but... Uh, Do you know what his name is? Nope. Name's Rakim. That's why they call him Rocky. And you know what his sister's name is? Erica B. You're he's, joking. No, that's their names. They're f their no, parents. their parents full on... Hip-hop. Hip-hop. Yeah. Hip-hop. Yeah, it's like... It's... Yeah. It's... um, Yeah, for sure. That's amazing, man. I don't actually... You're like dropping so many little... Uh, like cool, just like tri trivia stuff about, about the hip hop. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I, I love that kind of shit. Well, ASAP Rocky, when he came out, everyone's like, he's biting ASAP Rock, who has a completely different style. It's just such a different form of like what they do. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, he started telling that story. It's like, oh, and then explaining what ASAP means, which is like always strive and prosper and like this whole other thing. It's like, oh, it has nothing to do with that. It's just a coincidence. Yeah. 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 That's, um, I feel like we've covered so much here, but there's uh, a few things that I just want to, you know, we've got, we've got a little bit more time. Um, Nine minutes. Oh, I thought it was. <laughs> We're talking to like uh, a cameraman here. Okay. Uh, he's like, don't look me. I don't know shit. Uh, we love you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're breaking the third wall here. Is that what they call it? Uh, <laughs> he's still looking at me like, He's trying to get us not to look at him, but he's making us look at yeah, him. Yeah, you're more. making us look at you, bro. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's <laughs> fucking ruining me. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so um, I want to talk about just a few, two more things. One is where do you? How does the writing process for writing a song start for you? Yeah. Does the rhyme pop up in your head? Yeah. Uh, or do you say you know? For me, this is how it is. I yeah. go. I want to talk about mental illness, but I want to I want to rap about mental illness. Okay. So then I think about the line. Okay. And so all the words for me then you know will progress about talking about that mental illness. Okay. Is it like that for you, or is it get the rhyme and you want to tie that bitch down to <laughs> excuse the language, okay. you know, uh, tie it down to you know paper. You want to put it down before you lose it because so you also lose that rhyme sometimes when it's in your head. It's fresh. You want to keep. Mm. So what is that like for you? Um, it really depends. It used to start with the rhyme. Now, sometimes it starts with the subject more. So if I want to start with the subject, say mental illness, like you just said, um, I might actually start the rap with, today I want to talk about mental illness. Mm -hmm. 
I meant to feel this, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And then the rhyme will sort of form. So like the rhyme is the biggest inspiration for me. But if I want to talk about a specific subject, usually I try to just like start um, on a very literal one. You know, I started rhyme about my alcoholism once. When I was a kid, I used to drink for fun. Now that I'm a man, I only drink to numb. You know what I mean? Wow. But it's just like, just like you just start, like you say something very literal. I like to, if, I, if I'm on a subject. The other day I, I, I was telling, my friend pulled up a picture of us when we were, when we were kids. Shout out to emphasize. He pulled up a picture of us when we were teenagers and I had this like gross fringe. It was like a Beatles fringe. It was back when I used to cut my own hair. And I, was, I said to him, yeah, used to smell weed on my sweet fringe because I cut it with the same scissors I cut my weed with. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. So that's in my little pocket. Maybe that'll turn into an entire song. Maybe it'll just be something funny I said to a friend once. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it yeah. starts with the rhyme, but it also starts with just, yeah. My brother, my brother taught me how to rap. He got better at it than me very quickly. And he always said to me, flow is important, rhyme's important, all of this is important. The most important thing is, is what you're saying. If you ain't saying shit, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a bunch of fancy shit. Always concentrate that you're saying something. That can be funny, it can be lighthearted. It doesn't have to be deep and important, but just be aware of it, be conscious of it, be very particular. So when people come to me to ask me about my lyrics, I just hope they know that I thought a lot about it. And if they're like questioning something, I've probably thought about it a billion times more than them, which is welcoming the question. But just don't come at me like I didn't think about it because I thought about every bit of it. Mm. And it all starts with either something literal or possibly just like a rhyme scheme because rhymes, you know, the, the rhyme is, is very inspi inspiring to me. Yeah. yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. So what, what is your brother's, what's your brother's stage name? Or Babic. Babic. Yeah. Okay. Is this, does he, is there any music out there to hear for? Uh... Yeah, if you look up Babic tunes on Bandcamp, you'll be able to find him. He's got like a couple things out. Yeah, it's very. And he doesn't do it anymore. Well, he, he does. does it. He does it. He does it less. Yeah. I, I wonder if he'll come back. You know, he's. I'm, I've got him on my new album that's going to be coming out in the next year or two. And uh, name yeah. of the album? Huh? Have you come out name of the album? A bunch of stuff that's undecided. I can't really okay. talk on it yet. It's just. It's just yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It's not decided. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's, that's so cool though, the man that you have like, you know, someone who's your blood and like an older brother, like that's a lifelong bond, you know? I mean, he's one of my bestest friends. And, yeah. and you push each other. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And, um, and as an artist, like looking back, like he always says like, this isn't true, but it's fucking true. Like I wanted to be my brother. Mm. Yeah. And he, he taught me. So much about hip hop, yeah. so much about hip hop culture, about not biting people's lyrics. You know, in hip hop, you don't do other people's lyrics. And I know this ghostwriters here and there, and it's not really my place to have an opinion on someone else's art. But in the sense of like, people be like, hey man, can you rap my lyrics? Because I can't really rap, but I wrote these lyrics. It's like, no, you gotta rap your lyrics. But it yeah. happens a lot in the industry, you know, it does happen. Like yeah, you hear about it here and there about ghostwriters and stuff. But when it says, when someone says, actually, I think it was Royster59 that was saying this recently in an interview, who's one of my all-time favorite MCs. He's such a good storyteller. He was saying, I'm not bothered by someone having a ghostwriter because if that, that's how they make their music cool. But don't go saying you're the best because what we're doing is different. We mm. write it ourselves. So it's just like, it's cool, but it's different. It's a different thing. Yeah. It might still be rap, but you're not an MC the way Royster59 is an MC who writes all of his own lyrics and is a real craftsman. 
yeah, of the yeah. art form. Yeah. Same as like Ice Cube, for example, writes most of his. Well, yeah. yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of Dr. Dre's music was written by Eminem and, and Ice Cube oh, and Ice all these Cube, different yeah. people. He's one of the greatest producers of all time. You know yeah. what I mean? And like, I'm not going to tell Dr. Dre not to do that. Like, oh. no, no way. Like, not at all. Um, but it's just more like when the conversation is about like who's the greatest MC of all time. I think it's someone who wrote their lyrics. Mm. Like, Ice Cube would be you know considered a goat. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what it stands for? Goat. Greatest of all time. You greatest never knew of- that. I've just seen that a lot on YouTube. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, uh-huh. I don't know. I, mean, I know there's like, there's like, I don't know what meta means. I don't know what any yeah, of this. Meta's like, a good one to look up. Yeah, you had it in one of your lyrics. I it's heard intense. it last night. <laughs> I was like, I, I got to go research. Anyways, uh, you, so, okay. So, that's also now we know about, you know, how you approach your writing process. But yeah. how does that tie in when you want to go to the producer? Because like now you have to think about, <clears throat> you know, do you go intro? Chorus, you know, are you writing like that? Or do you just start with just like heaps of bars and then you try to sort of rejig the structure to fit the music or, you know what I mean? How do you, now that you've kind of achieved a level of, or you have a lot of releases in a sense. So you've, you know, you've made a couple of tracks, right? Yeah. How does that, like, how do you tie that in technically speaking with, you know, the structure of song making when working in with your producer? Um... It depends from song to song, but I usually start with the beat. I'll get the bones of a beat. So I even, you know, produce the bones of the beat, like the basic loop. Mm. And I'll write a bunch of stuff. Sometimes I'll write it all mishmashy. Usually I'll write a bunch of stuff and it will start to form something. And then I go to the producer and we record it. Or I'll record a demo myself, send it to them. They'll shape it around it. And then we'll make another recording of the official mm-hmm. release. But it really does. It, it depends. Yeah. yeah. The words the words come first usually for you? or uh, The beat. The beat. I'll usually get a beat and then like the song will come. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes like that song I showed you that we were talking about earlier, um, I wrote the beat myself and then I wasn't happy with it because I'm not very good at making beats and then I took it to another producer and he changed it. Mm. He made a new beat for it. Yeah. yeah. But that's generally not how it works for me. For you, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm interested in, in that because um, one thing I want to sort of maybe make accessible to the listeners is uh, how you, if you... You know, a lot of people, like you said, do freestyling and stuff yeah. like that or um, write poetry and, you know, people out there listen to hip-hop and rap yeah. and kind of want to make it a thing for themselves. Yeah. What, you know, I want to know what does that transition look like, you know? What does that trajectory look like? Like in case, you know, not necessarily a formula, but for DJs, for example, uh, I'm going to go on this tangent for a bit, but for DJs, it's like, cool, you want to be a DJ. Sweet. You obviously got to learn how to beat match. You got to learn about track selection, programming, um, some people want to do effects, some people don't. You got to learn learn the tech of it, and then after that, you got to record a mix. Once you record a mix, you're you know now you've got to you've got to go out there and put yourself out there. Mm. You got to get a gig first, yeah. You know because that's the only way you can you know you go from being a bedroom DJ to an actual club DJ or whatever. Yeah. So for a hip hop MC, it's like. I write lyrics. Mm. Now I need the beat. So I need a producer. I got to go to get a producer and then the producer, you know, you write the beats together mm. and then you put the track out there. Yeah. Um, would you say that's kind of like a, not a formulaic way of just approaching, you know, if you want to actually put music out there or you want to make that transition from just being a bedroom artist to ready for the, the whole world to see your art? Does that make sense? Does that? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, it's just hard, man, because honestly, like my only advice to artists is just like enjoy your music. If you if you're passionate about it, you enjoy it. it. Should just be at the forefront. You know what I mean? So, all the other thing, you know, it's just noise. 
Um, I would say, you know, learn to pull the trigger. So many good artists I know haven't put music out, but I've heard albums worth of music that they've made, but they just don't pull the trigger on it. Mm. You know, so it's really important to pull the trigger on things. But it happens in so many different ways, depending who you are and what you're doing. Um, I would say that's the most important thing, though. Pull the trigger. Surround yourself with people who you can take their advice to say, this is ready to go out and put it out. Because a lot of artists get caught in that trap of never putting anything out because they're perfectionists and they're obsessive and you know, just what makes them a good artist at awesome is what makes them never be heard by anybody. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But the most important thing is to enjoy your music because if it becomes about this other thing of people hearing and getting likes and all this obsessive stuff that we do now, it just, it's going to ruin it for you. And I've seen it ruin it for so many people and it's ruined it for me at times. And yeah, same. that's the biggest advice, man. You just got to see the blessing of music outside of the fact that it gets you attention and in the fact that it helps people and it it opens up avenues for you to be friends with people you might not have met before and yeah it's mm. a cultural it's a it's a cultural bridge and it's it's just yeah yeah mm. fantastic man um i like that you say it's a it's a cultural bridge mm. I, I always recommend it to to a lot of people it's like if you go into a new country or something like that and you know, you sort of want to see the joint. Go to a music festival. <laughs> yeah. Go to a music festival. You'll go meet heaps of people. There. Heaps of people. Go to the underground scene. Mm. When I was in Malaysia, the spoken word scene was like one of the biggest I engaged with. Really, really nice people. Met so many, so many nice people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how was it like living in Malaysia and still being like an artist, you know? Because you were obviously away from, from say, Melbourne or touring or did you come back a lot for… for I came back because of visa runs and stuff. But um, yeah, it's harder there in the sense for me, um, you know, cause I'm a real outsider there. It's like the cultural shift over there is so different, which was amazing and really, really beautiful to mm. experience that. Um, but they don't have walking. Um, you don't really walk places there. So like in Melbourne, like you walk everywhere. You can kind of walk around and sniff out some food, listen for some music. Mm. And in Malaysia, you kind of need to know where you're going. Cause if you don't, you just, even when you, when I know where a gig is, I'll like find myself lost <laughs> trying yeah. to find, I'll be out front of it. And I'll be like, where the fuck is it? Like, there's like, there's not as much signs. It's just, so I found it, I found it really, really difficult. But at the same time, like people were super welcoming. So when I'd meet one person, you just have to follow that thread to like the next, next person, next person, next person. Mm, yeah. 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 But it was different. Like Melbourne, skate around the north side, you're going to find some art. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You literally just walk into, uh, you know, walk past the bar or something. Go past Baru, so you know what I mean? Yeah, you're going yeah, yeah. to go past somewhere like that and go, oh, shit, there's like a bunch of musicians here, you know, jamming. Yeah, yeah. West African. Shout-outs to everybody in Melbourne who's ever invited me on stage because, like, you're, you're what keeps me weird and you're why I'm back. I just, I love all of it. Yeah. You humble me. It blows my mind. Yeah, no. It fucking knocks me off my seat, the talent in this fucking city. Um, and it's the same in it's the same in Brisbane. Incredible amounts of talent. Same in Noosa. It's just that they've got the venues here. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, we need to get back. It's it's going to be a hard time. It's mm -hmm. another conversation. I didn't mean to get into that. No, 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 no. no. It's the beginning of a whole other thing, which we might not have time for. So yeah, that's so fantastic. Up, everyone, I love you all. <laughs> Man, look, the very last thing I want to talk about, and uh, I know so we're pushing our own time the, limit. The universe. The universe. <laughs> um, no, it's actually. Um, Art, art direction for the music video clips that you've been making because they're very yeah. they're very it's like first of all I just want to mention again um, you mentioned the other director uh, Dave Deggs Dave yeah. Deggs uh, a good friend of ours James Gillo yeah. which is actually the the man who I think introduced us I know you because of James yeah. Gillo they're kind of the center or one of the centers of that group yeah our friendship yeah. group um, 
you guys did this video clip Friday, Party on Friday. Yeah. Uh, and it's a single take shot. So um, a lot of those music video clips have a really cool storytelling style. There's a narrative, you know, like there's an aesthetic to, to it. How much of that is a collaboration or is it for you, like for, say with Jillo in that video clip, mm. you're just like, this is the track, let's go with it. Like who, how was that? For that specific track or in general? Uh, well, let's say that specific track and then for the, some of the rest. Of With that track, uh, it's party on a Friday. So it's talking about how good it is to party on a Friday because then on Saturday you can sleep and just like, you know, wash it off. And then by Sunday you can actually be productive to sort of prep you for the week. So it's sort of like a motivational party anthem, I guess, for mm. me. And uh, whenever I thought of the video clip, I just thought of everyone being at a party. Party, party. Cool. It's a bit boring. So, you know, it's been done. So we thought, okay, cool. Well, let's make it a one shot. And we'll make the narrative of the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday all in one shot. So we want it to be challenging, especially with Jillo um, and Dana at Jurassic Melbourne. Um, you know, they're all about pushing limits. So we really want to make it challenging, make, make it something hard. Um, I think, I can't remember who first said one track, but I definitely was like, I feel like it needs to be a literal video clip where we like map out like the story of the song, but we just need to make it more creative. And I can't remember who first like came up with the idea of one track. But it was myself and Jillo and Dana who mapped it out the day before everyone came. We just like did the whole thing just with me and Dana being like human pieces moving around that the camera would put attention to. And then people showed up slowly but surely. We didn't know how many would show up the following day. And we shot all day uh, practices. And then we shot about six of them within sunset, which was the lighting that we wanted. I think we shot it about 22 times. So that was a real collaboration. Um, the whole take. That we shot the whole take 22 times, yeah. Oh. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I like to hand over a lot of creativity to Jello just because he knows better. But there are certain things about my brand and how I want to be portrayed and I'll always sort of like insert those to say yes or no to things that he might go, this looks really great. And I'll just go, that's not really like the type of image I'm going for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jurassic Melbourne, James and Dana. Big shout outs to Dana because Jello gets, you know, well-deserved attention. His wife and um, business partner, Dana, fucking incredible. Mm. Like, yeah, real behind the scenes fucking goddess, yeah. that one. Yeah. 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 Both, both. Uh, if both. you see that in Party on a Friday, there's a thing of her flipping a pancake <laughs> right at the right time. And it's this big metal skillet and the pancake kept sticking to the metal skillet. And it's like, More butter. it's like, J Shem, like liquid, eat pancake. James, wrap a camera, open fridge. Dana, flip pancake. This is sweet. Take bins out. And you'll see this like circle in the kitchen. And honestly, <laughs> like there's certain parts she plays. Like she she plays a bunch of parts behind the scenes and like writing and like fleshing out these ideas and helping with logistics and all the other things that come with filmmaking. But there's a couple things in the video clips that she's done that I'm just like, fuck, dude. It's it's crazy. This is hilarious. Yeah. These weird little things like flipping a pancake. But every time I watch that, like she's like, that was me that flipped that pancake. I'm like, I fucking know, dude. It's insane. Like yeah. there's another video clip that's coming out soon and there's another moment that she did. I don't know why I'm ranting about this. No, no, this is great. It's this just like little, little things that happen. There's little but, things um, that happen in the video. Yeah, Jillo and Dana at Jurassic Melbourne. Big ups, they're fucking amazing. I love them both so yeah. much. And we always become better friends every time we we make a, oh, yeah. a video clip. Jillo came over to Malaysia and shot a video clip that we haven't released yet. Yeah. So well, that's a whole is there other a name one. for that video clip. It's called uh Till We Meet Again. When's it coming in? Don't coming know. Yet. Out, sorry. Next in the next year. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see it. It's it's gonna be really cool. A lot of my friends in Malaysia that I, I hold quite dearly are in it. And it's um yeah. yeah. Real homage to Malaysian food as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um that's awesome, man. I it is one of the things that uh, I feel 
and again, I don't know a lot of the some of the hip hop, um, your hip hop like uh, mm. rappers or colleagues that you you know you mentioned early in the show. I don't know if they have me, a lot of music video clips because I def it's definitely an, a thing that a lot of rappers would like to have. You know, for DJs, it's no, it's the visual part. <clears throat> it's like you're out playing at the festival. That's yeah. the visual part. But yeah. for you, it's not just writing a song. You need to have that music video clip with it. I feel like it's like, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's important. I mean, in this day and age, everything's about video. Yeah. Even DJs, you know, especially if you're a producer. Like someone like, you know, like Liquid, for example, he's a he's a DJ. He's just started producing now, but like he puts his music out in a different way as like putting out mixes. Mm. The same way, like let's say Kodiak Kid, you know, he put mixes out same way Liquid would. Then he put an EP out. Now he's got a video clip. Mm. You know what I mean? He's got multiple video clips. So I think it depends on how you're releasing your music. Yeah. But if you're releasing like original, like, track for track, like original produced music, I think everyone should have a video clip. It's super important. If you're performing live as a DJ, you should probably video that. Yeah. If that's what you're doing. Yeah. That's definitely the trajectory I'm going yeah. down. And you know who you should hire? James Gillo <laughs> and Donna Bell. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they have impressive work and a lot of good tech to make it look good. Um, yeah. I guess before, before we wrap this up, um, Top 10 MCs. Top oh, oh, 10? Did 10 too much? Do you want to go five? <laughs> no, nah, 10's easier. I mean, okay, so like Royce to 5-9. Is that number one? Uh, uh, they're in nine, no, no specific order. Okay. Um, Royce to 5-9. I would say Idea from Idea and Abilities is my personal favorite MC. Um, Where's he from? Is he from? Uh, he's from the United States. He's okay. passed away now, sadly, but uh, incredible body of work. Really, really creative. Also a freestyler and a rap battler. Really, really great. Uh, Royce to 5-9. Uh, idea. Rather Rugged Man, um, Lauren Hill, for sure. Uh, Rhapsody recently got put in into my list. She's ridiculously good. Um, fuck, man, it's so hard. I've been thinking about this list a lot recently, but I just I can't pick them all. Karis one. It depends, like, who are my favorites or who are the greatest of all time? Um, no, your favorites. I can really only speak on my favorites. And Yeah, your favorites. That's a very... Like, I mean, Nas would be up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tupac, fuck man, it's so hard. And I they're all different as well. They're all so different and they've all hold parts of me, like special times in my life of like mm. where I was at, you know, Slug from Atmospheres, fucking amazing storyteller. And they all convey. I mean, Wu Tang is like a, a, a whole, is like like one of the, you know, like they're, they all, you know, have their part. Their part. Yeah, it's just, Mm -hmm. Just fucking magic, magical. Melvin MC, like Mantra is one of my favorite MCs. Like Mantra. shout outs Melvin MCs. He's definitely one of my favorites. Um, yeah. Fuck yeah, man. I don't know. I can't name anymore. It's such <laughs> a hard question. Look, there's a lot of people yeah. in in that list that uh, uh, I've I've actually like I've never heard of Idea, and I'm like, whoa, that guy's your favorite MC. Like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna check this out. And the producer abilities, who he works with, is yeah. like wizard. And, and uh, yeah, mm. and it's uh, that. You know, not knowing who that is, but also wanting to know it for me is like mm. just that's how you become a student of the the art form. You know, totally keep your ears open. Uh, people uh, give it to you, and you are you know for the most for the most amount of time that I've known you and I've known you doing this art mm. form, I've always seen you approach your art form um, as a student. You mm. know, even just seeing how you try to always incorporate multi-syllable rhymes and okay. just you know when you start to go into that triplet stuff, mm. which isn't necessarily for me. You know, with a lot of the triplet stuff that's coming out of late, it's like I'm not really vibing with it. But I like the technical mm. prowess of the person who can do it in a 
you know, in a way that's actually interesting. Not mm. like mumble rap, but we don't get into that. Because <laughs> a lot of mumble rap is triplet, but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah but some of it's good and some of it's, you know, eh. <laughs> Each to its own. New Each generation. to its own. Not old to... people always hate the new music. Uh, you so know... you got to be aware of it. I think I, I did have that, uh, you know, yeah. but uh, after listening to um, some of the greats, you know, especially when you listen to guys like Primo or... Mm. Uh, and you hear them saying, hey, man, you just, you got to love all of it. It's all part of the story, whether it's, you know, the good stuff or the shit it's stuff. It might not be for you. It's a, it's different, not, it's a different type of, of, yeah. of the art form. I got into Young Thug recently. Someone got me into it, and I, like, always had this idea that I'd hate it, and I listened. I was like, oh, this is really fucking cool. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, like, some stuff out there that's just, like, absolute garbage. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. <laughs> no. But what... Your your art form is 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 not garbage. Thank it's, you. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, that's what uh, I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> Probably didn't word that right. And I look, uh, it's an honor to know you and to be able to witness you doing a thing. And I don't know if this is your prime or not, but to me, you're putting some really good shit out there. Um, that's definitely inspiring. And it, you know, uh, when you look at someone really going for it mm. it makes you want it kind of up in your friendship circle it yeah. makes you really want to push you know push yourself yeah so i'm um, yeah thank you so much man thank you so much for being here and thanks for having time. me big ups to surreal melbourne i'm i'm podcast addict i can't wait to listen <laughs> to more of you guys uh is there anything you want to plug in man before you uh any uh, releases anything like that Nah, just, you know, kudos tunes everywhere if you ever want to look me up and see what I do and, you know, if you like it, cool. And if you don't, you know, yeah. fuck yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Like, if you don't, you know, whatever. Is there um, is there a, uh, a website or something coming soon? Because I feel like... Uh, I've got a website. Yeah, kudostunes.com. But okay. I, don't, I don't really use it much unless I'm touring or ser- selling merch, which, I, you know, I'm not really doing much of right now either. Yeah. So, but yeah, social media and stuff. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I guess uh, I guess that's a wrap, huh? Yeah, it is. Thank you so much for having me. Big ups. Really appreciate it. Cool. All right, guys. That's us. Over and out.